Good morning, church. All right. Johnny, I wanted to thank you so much for a very legitimate excuse to go shopping. I couldn't let my church ladies down, so that was really, really nice. All right. Good morning, everybody. Well, I think that before we hear the word of God and before we do a lot of things, we have to do something to like get us in the right mindset, get us warmed up, get us going. Um, This past week, I started a boot camp. I didn't start one, but I started going to a boot camp this past week. I'm five days in of a 28-day journey here, so almost done. And um, I'm feeling good, but I decided, you know what? I have to start with a bang because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to commit to it. I'm got a busy week, so I better do all of the early morning workouts. And I said that before seeing that the earliest they have is 6 a.m. Now, that may not be like crazy early to you, but I consider myself a morning person if morning is seven or later, okay? So anything before seven is nighttime. Shh. So I got up at nighttime to go to these workouts. And when I got there, I'm like, I just rolled out of bed. I just don't really want to do this. And I kind of expected everybody else to be the same way. But the coach gets up there and she has her Britney Spears mic like I do here. And she turns on the music and it's super, super loud. As I was pulling up in my car with the windows closed, I could hear the music blaring. And she goes, all right, fit fam. If you're ready to work out, let me get two claps. And I wasn't, I didn't know what to do, so I was behind, you know, like in Zumba class when you're five moves behind. Two claps, and by the last one I got it, two claps, and I was on time. So we're going to do that this morning. What better way to start off church? I mean, come on. All right, New Life Church, if you're ready to hear God's word, let me get two claps, two claps, two claps. You guys are awesome. If you're not ready, I mean, you just need some more coffee, because I'm ready to go now. All right, awesome. Well, if you don't know, we've been studying the Bible together as a whole church across all campuses and even with our kids using a book called The Story. And it maps out the Bible in chronological order so that everything um, kind of falls into place. We see um, people that we may not have known otherwise were related to each other or we find out where they were from and how the stories all connect. So I don't know about you, but it's really like brought some aha moments for me reading the story. So we are going to jump in. I hope that you read chapter 29 this past week, um, and hopefully you're warmed up and you know all of the stories that we're going to talk about today. All right. I know that I have something in common with you, and you have something in common with the person next to you, and the person next to you has something in common with Anthony in the back in the sound booth, and what we all have in common is this. We are constantly having to make decisions. We hear about decision fatigue all the time, every single day. It's A or B, and we have to make some decisions. Did you know that the average adult in a lifetime makes 773,618 decisions and comes to regret 143,262 of those decisions? Can anybody testify to that? Yes. And most of us intend on including the Lord in those decisions. We want to make him happy. Right? We want to do what's right. We, we want our plans to be his plans. We, we don't want to make the wrong decision. See, we all have good intentions. God, do I, do I date this person? Do I start this business? Do I talk to that person? God, what do you want me to do? Because I don't want to mess this up. 
And a lot of us drive ourselves crazy asking God this question, what do you want me to do? And it's not causing us anxiety because God isn't responding. It's causing us anxiety because of this one silly thing in our human nature. And that's that we are adamant about waiting on God for a green light. We want it to be so incredibly obvious to us which decision to make, so much so that we will stay frozen. We will stay still, we will get set in our haunches, and we will not move until we feel like we know exactly what decision to make. Sometimes we'll wait years before making a move. I don't blame you, and I don't blame me. Decisions are scary, especially when we know that we're living outside of the will of God, and that can cost us so much. See, many of us know what it's like to make a wrong decision. Something probably popped up in your head right now. Something you, a decision you made years ago, a decision you made yesterday. We all know what that's like. And a lot of us know what it's like to be without Jesus. And because we know that that point in our lives was so dark and so low and so depressing, we don't want to do anything to jeopardize our life that we have now with Jesus. So what do we do? We can't live with anxiety forever, but we also can't avoid decision-making altogether. It's part of existing. So how do we get out of this cycle of a decision being presented to us and then us asking God what to do and then waiting, 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 waiting without ever making a move? Well, from the words of my father, I'm glad you asked. Open up to Acts chapter 8. Uh, While you get there, let me set the scene for you a little bit from last week to kind of put the pieces together. So um, Jesus comes down to earth, right? He lives this crazy, eventful life. He meets a bunch of people. Some people hate him. Some people love him. But regardless of all the circumstances and all the temptations that he faces, just like you and I face every single day, he never sins. Not once. So he gets his disciples together and he tells them, hey guys, just so you know, I've been chosen to be the one to come down to earth and to fix your problem. And your problem is sin. You might think that your problem is your sickness or your debt or your ex, but all of those problems are ultimately caused by the main problem, which is sin. It might be your sin. It might be somebody else's sin. It could be old sin or new sin, but sin is the problem. So then he does what he says he'll do. He fixes the problem. He goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. And then he comes back to life and he tells his disciples, all right, bros, now it's your turn. I have the solution to the problem, but people have to want their problem fixed now. So go and tell them what I've done and offer them the solution to the problem. Then Jesus goes up to heaven, and that's where we are now in the story. And now we're going to see all of these scenes unfold from different disciples carrying out the mission he's just sent them on. And what's cool is we see so many examples in Acts of people just like you and me who show us that waiting for God to give us a green light or a thumbs up or a go ahead isn't always the best way to be an effective follower of Jesus. See, the first guy I want to introduce you to is Philip. I'm going to write his name down so we don't forget. I'm going to bring this just a little bit closer here. Everybody say Philip. Philip. All right. Let's read about Philip. Let's start in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, to this desert place. And then to summarize, Philip sees this guy on his journey who happens to be a very powerful government leader, and he's sitting in a carriage, and the Holy Spirit is like, hey, Philip, go stand near him. 
And then the guy in the carriage, next thing you know, ends up inviting him up into the carriage and says, hey, I'm really interested in hearing about this Jesus guy. Do you know anything about him? And Philip is like, as a matter of fact, I do. Let me tell you about him. And they have this awesome experience together as now brothers in Christ because this guy gives his heart to Jesus and then in this same scene ends up taking him over to the river and baptizing him. So they have like this really incredible, deep spiritual encounter. So I want an experience like that. And we need to know how did Philip happen to be in the exact right place at the exact right time, right? How did their paths just happen to cross when they were both on these long, crazy journeys? How did he know what decision to make? Because God sent him an angel, Keep your expectations low of these drawings here. I'm going to give them a little smiley face. And we're going to do... Look at that. You have never seen a better angel. Does, do angels have feet? No, no, no. They don't have feet. All right. And then, um, so I want you to keep Philip and the angel in mind. Let's move on to chapter 9. So we meet a guy named Saul. And he's not a good guy. He's persecuting Christians. He hates even hearing about Jesus. He's a bad guy. And now he's forming this plan with all of the other synagogues to get as many Christians arrested as possible. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And he does. So how did Saul, a man who hated Jesus, come to a decision like that? Because he heard the audible voice of Jesus. So we got Saul, and he heard the voice of Jesus. All right, I want you to remember him, and we're going to move on to the next story here, because as Saul goes to the city that he's supposed to go to, um, the story kind of switches over really quickly to a guy named Ananias. Let's read verse 10. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Am I the only one getting like Liam Neeson movie vibes from this? Like it's just a crazy specific task that he needs to do from this voice that he hears. Like Grand Hotel, seventh floor, room 658, come alone, <laughs> right? And what's crazy is Ananias does it, okay? So Philip gets an angel, Saul gets a voice, and Ananias gets a vision. Okay? So, what do we do when we've been told for so long that when we read the Bible or when we read a story, we're supposed to put ourselves in the story to find out how we're supposed to live our lives, right? Because since we do, it's no longer we've been waiting and waiting for a sign, right? We've been waiting for an angel to show up in our lives and tell us which way to go. We've been waiting to hear the audible voice of God. I'm not going to make a decision until I hear God's voice. We've been waiting to see a specific vision, to fall asleep and have a dream of what our future is supposed to look like. The problem is we are limiting how God chooses to speak to us based on how he's chosen to speak to somebody else. 
But direction from Jesus happens all throughout the book of Acts. These are just a few of them. Example after example of being told where to go and what to do and who to go with. And they all experience something different. But one thing they all have in common is that they never asked for it. They weren't waiting for an answer. They knew the Lord was with them, so they went on their merry way. And sometimes without a clue where they were headed. Philip wasn't visited by an angel while he was sitting on his knees, pleading with God for the next step in his life. He wasn't twiddling his thumbs. He certainly wasn't wasting time. You know what he was doing? The Bible says he was hustling. See, we didn't read the story before the story when we read about Philip. So we're going to jump up to verses 4 through 8. It says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So Philip didn't wait. He just went. And he didn't do it timidly. He was out in the streets telling every soul that he could. He wasn't posting an encouraging meme on Facebook, right? He wasn't posting a selfie praying for the people of Samaria. He was out there doing it. He was speaking the truth. He was giving his own testimony, just like we need to give ours. Let's go back to Saul, who's now Paul, because like just a brief synopsis, Jesus did a huge miracle in his life, changed his heart and gave him a new name. So hallelujah. And now he's writing to a church in a city called Corinth. He's writing to them because this guy who was persecuting Christians, he wanted all of them to die. He was getting them stoned and flogged and telling on them. And it was a crazy situation is now starting churches. And he started this church. And I want to read to you what he said to this church. First, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that, uh, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. Did you see that? He didn't wait for God's will. He just made plans. Now, if God chooses to course correct, he's cool with that. He's giving God his plans But it's Paul's plans. He's ready to go. So God did change his plans a little bit. If we read in verse 7, God actually tells him where not to go. And when they had come to to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So Paul kind of turned this and flipped it upside down. Instead of saying, okay, God, I know you want me to preach. Where should I go? He said, okay, God, I know you want me to preach, so I'm going to preach to everybody until you tell me not to. All of us want to be in the will of God. And the Bible talks about the will of God in two different terms. So stick with me. I want you to understand these two different terms. The first one is the will of decree. So think of that as God writing history. And the second one is the will of desire. And that's God writing to us, writing to humans. So God's will of decree is described in Ephesians 1.11. It says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God writes history before it even happens. Right? He writes when you take your next breath. 
He writes when the next baby is born and the next person dies. God will write when the next war happens. Everything that happens is God decreed because he has all the power and all the authority. Because of him, without him giving the okay, that means somebody else is in control. And God has all the control. He doesn't have most of the control. God has all of the control. And nothing happens unless he gives the okay. Now, God's will of desire, those are the commands that he gives us. So if God says, don't lie, which he does, and we tell a lie, some might say, oh no, then God's will is not done. But remember, God's will of decree is that you have a choice. You have free will. God didn't want you to tell that lie, but he let you tell that lie because that's part of God's decree. And a perfect example to put these two ideas together is the crucifixion. See, the Bible says that at the cross, the father sanctified the son for your sins. And yet, in Acts chapter 2, it says it differently. In a really summarized way, murder happened. See, they killed Jesus. And of course, by then it was already written in God's law not to murder. So God's will of desire was broken when Jesus was murdered. But was his will of decree broken? No. So we have decree And that's set in stone. That's not changing. God writes history. And then we have desire. And that wavers based on our decisions. But there's a third uh, will of God that we try to insert ourselves that doesn't actually exist. And that's the will of direction. And all of a sudden, we strap on our backpack and wait to hear this familiar song that we know will bring us some comfort. Come on. Some of you know this song. You know it. You know it. I'm the map. There you go. <laughs> now you know it. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. Thank you guys. Yes. Okay. And the problem is following the will of direction would be so much easier, right? It would be amazing if we had a talking map like Dora, but we don't. That's the bad news. The good news is that one of these wills of God does speak to us. See, the Bible isn't like a map that we're used to using, but it is a long list of specific desires of God. He lays it all out for us, and it couldn't be more specific what he wants from you. He'll tell you exactly what he wants, but he will not tell you what he has planned. Because you are not God. I am not God. He's God. He keeps his plans to himself. So let's read Acts chapter 13, verses 46 to 47. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So this last statement is a quote inside quotes. And we all know that that means somebody has already said this in the past. So I was like, where has this been said before? I want you to flip over to Isaiah chapter 49. And in verse 6, it says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, 700 years before Paul went on his mission, Isaiah had talked about and prophesied about this very moment where Paul was standing there talking to the prophets. And all he had to do was position himself to fulfill that prophecy. And I want to ask you something. If there was a prophecy in the Bible written just about you, 
You knew that it was talking about where you should go and what you should do and how you're going to get there. Would you not do everything in your power to fulfill that mission, to make that prophecy come true? I know you would, and I would too. I've got some news for you. There was a prophecy written about you 2,000 years ago. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says, Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Let's not get it twisted. No matter how much we beg and plead to know what God is up to in this season of our lives, to know when things are going to get better, to know when I'll finally stop feeling sad, to know when that stubborn person in my life is finally going to change. No matter how much we ask, he will not give us the written plan. But seek his will first, then he'll show you what to do. If we jump down in the same chapter to verse 21, it says, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them. So when you're at a crossroads with a big decision to make, you're paralyzed and you don't know what to do, yes, there are times when we are to wait on the Lord. But this verse says, He will also give you discernment and common sense. So what are you going to do with it in the meantime? Would you close your eyes? I wonder if anyone here or joining us online today would say, yeah, that's me. I've, I've been frozen. I might be living life, doing my day-to-day -day thing, getting business done, but, but there's something missing. I just I haven't been using my time for the kingdom of God. Being a light to others is something I think about in my prayer time. It's something I honestly want to do, but when I get to work or when I see my relatives who are usually pretty nasty to me, or when I get upset and lose my temper, all that kind of goes out the window. And I want to be better. I want to be intentional with this season of my life. I don't want the years to pass and suddenly I realize all the missed opportunities I had to share Jesus with somebody because maybe I'm too busy waiting for a green light. If that's you and you want to ask the Lord today for help, Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now and let me pray for you. Praise God. Father, you know the beginning from the end. You know every thought that runs through our minds. You know what we've done and what we're doing, what we intend to do and what we'll actually do. And we just want to be within your will, God. So would you give us courage to act while we wait on further instructions? Would you remind us in this season of waiting or, or in this season of, of wondering what decision to make that you are with us. All we have to do is step out in faith. And if you course correct, we are ready for that, God. You control us, but we're ready to take that next step. We thank you for the free will that you've given us, that we get to make these decisions, God. God, you don't push anything on us. You just invite us to follow you. So God, we choose today to follow you with everything that we have. Father God, I pray for protection and favor as these people, as your people, go out and tell others, tell others what you have done for them, God. We thank you, Jesus, for the change that you've made in our lives, God. The transformation, the Saul to Paul transformation that we've all experienced. We don't take it lightly. We don't forget what you've done. So we claim our lives to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Praise God. God is with you this week. 
not down the road whenever you think God will finally give you the plan. He's with you right now. So step out in faith today. Amen? All right. Let me bless you before you go. Child of God, may the confidence of Jesus stand taller than your every insecurity. May a hedge of protection shield you from every attack of the enemy. May the truth of God correct every word spoken against you. And may you know your worth and your calling in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. You are dismissed.